Okay. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of theological opinions out there about the kingdom of God. And one giant one that pretty much runs evangelical Christianity is the kingdom's not here yet. Because Jesus is not here yet. And you've got to have Jesus here to have the kingdom. But they don't understand the Trinity at all then. Because who is here? Who? The Holy Spirit. John 14 tells us he's here forever. And so the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we have the present reign of God through Messiah by the power of the Holy Spirit with us presently. Is it perfect? No. Is it increasing? Yes. Will it take over everything? Yes. So I'm speeding up this teaching just a little bit. Are you members of it? Yes. That's why you have such tension in life. You can curse the devil all you want, but the tensions you have in life is your dual citizenship. You still live here on terra firma, on terra firma. You'd like to be there, but you're still here. And again, this is why we, the word of God is important to us, to guide us to be able to give glory to God in his kingdom now and then forever. So you're not waiting for someday to give glory to God. You're doing that in your everyday life. But the enemy knows that you're already not yet. And so he tempts you. He, 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 he tells you that it's not a reality, that you shouldn't think about these things, that you should give all your strength in life to what you can see and feel and touch right now, because this is all you have. And you see people all around us that are living life in desperation. That's what Thoreau says, but men live lives of quiet desperation because they don't know that there's anything else besides what they have. So they, they buy and they get and they go and they work and they... <sighs> but our understanding is different because we're both citizens of this world still, and we have obligations to that end, but we're also citizens of the kingdom of God, Paul tells us. And so it's important that God's people have the realization of the present day kingdom of God. Otherwise, they will succumb to temptation to give it all in this life where you won't find perfect justice. You won't find perfect peace. You won't find perfect joy. That only happens in one kingdom. So to expend all your energies on a kingdom that's destined to fail and to fall under its own weight when you could be investing and seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness this is how the church, the church should be directing all of its efforts. You can say amen to me. You can show expression. You can agree with me because I like it. Participate with the word of God when you come to assembly. That's why you should come to church. You participate. And as you participate, the word goes inside of you and begins its great work. Now, I'm a human being, and you don't have to listen to me. 
But God delegates authority to certain ones to be, are you ready, the voice of God to you. I don't claim any divinity that way. My lips are clay and my feet are clay. But we prayed for the great Holy Ghost to speak to us today. And how do you think he does that? Well, I want to hear his audible voice. You are. And if you really want to hear his audible voice, read your Bible out loud. You don't need some prophecy over you in some strange city with people you don't know. God will speak to you every day. Open the book and look. No extra charge for that. All right. The kingdom of God is a reality. But if you were the devil, what would you do? What would you do to God's people if you knew the kingdom of God is a reality and God is king and he reigns and rules over all things? If you were the devil, what would you do? You would continue to blind the minds of God's people. So they can't see it. They can't know it. They can't participate in it. Because that spells his ultimate doom. And that's why the first line of our mantra as churches is we see the king in his kingdom. And if you're sitting here and you're a Christian, you're a Christian because you have the Holy Spirit, you automatically see the kingdom of God. But use your newfound eyes to see Enter and participate the kingdom of God. That's why you were born again. Now, the devil tries to keep us enclosed into this failing world system. Keeps us pressed down so we can't lift our eyes to see another reality, which is the true reality. Do you remember in the Bible, uh, Gehazi Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6. Here's Elisha. Elisha was in the middle of the enemy's camp. He's got his own camp going there. He's making pancakes in the morning. And Gehazi, the servant, wakes up. And he goes out to the window. Oh, no, Mr. Prophet. They're surrounding us. We're doomed. We're going to die. And Elisha's just flipping over his pancake, and he's not even budging, not showing any fear, not showing anything. He says, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And when Gehazi's eyes are open, what does he see? They are more in number, the chariots of God, angels of war. What natural army would want to go up against that? And Gehazi experiences an immediate repose. Now, if you're in turmoil in your life, the answer is not a pill or a counseling session or get on the prayer line at 700 Club. It's getting your eyes open to see who's really in charge, who's really calling the shots. We don't deny the things that are going on, not at all. But we show our allegiance to another superior government that rules over all that every government of the nations will have to submit one day. All right. Uh, you've seen that movie, Field of Dreams. I watch it religiously once a year at the beginning of baseball season. Two or three movies, the other one's The Natural, just to prime my pump to get me ready for baseball season. <laughs> field of Dreams is extraordinary. You can go see that baseball field in Iowa still to this day. We were supposed to play a game there this season, but it didn't work out or something. I don't know. Kind of cool. 
I, if Ty Cobb comes out of those weeds, though, I want to I want to be there. That's pretty neat. <laughs> but anyway, you remember in Field of Dreams, the brother-in-law, he's arguing with uh, the, the, the landowner, Kevin Costner, he said, you got to sell this. You're going broke. Uh, what do you build a baseball field? Are you crazy? Sell this property and pay off your note and get out of debt. He's arguing, arguing. Then there's a little incident that happens. And the next moment, the brother says, don't sell this farm. His eyes are open to see the, the players that everybody's watching. And there was only select ones who could actually see. But then they all come. You can see the headlights at the end of the game. Great movie. Rent it. You'll enjoy it. A uh, more modern version of that one is The Matrix. Is Neo, before he was Neo, he was offered two pills, the blue pill and the red pill. With the red pill, he could see what's really happening. What's really behind uh, the, the events of his life and what's driving all humans. And he took it and he saw the reality that there was another reality that was imprisoning and oppressing everybody. Now, we don't take red pills. We take the gospel pill. I waited all day to say that. No. I waited all day. I held it. I didn't even tell Molly. Thank you. Thank you. Hold your applause at the end. I'll be here all week. I thought of that all on my own. I think I'm getting a tattoo next tomorrow on my arm on that one. But Jesus said this way, in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You have to have a completely new orientation and inclination to actually see it. But when you see it, keep your eyes opened. See it, participate in it. That is your real reality. That's what God has made you. Oh, what's my future? What's my destiny? I need 10 people to prophesy over and tell them. Here's your destiny to bring the kingdom of God and be a citizen in it forever, uh, just like Jesus. <laughs> That's all you need to know. We're not promoting ourselves or our ministries. We're promoting the king and his kingdom. That's what we're about. And any ministry that points to themselves is illegitimate. A herald only speaks for the king. He doesn't speak for himself. And if all they're doing is promoting their materials, I would be wary. I'd say, hold on a minute. Who are you preaching about? Who are you promoting? You or King Jesus? All right. So I talk about the kingdom of God. What's the first thing you think about? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the phrase kingdom of God? It's not a trick question. What? A king. There's got to be a king for a kingdom, yeah? Okay, we do have a kingdom in Missouri where you were that. Kingdom City up there. Do you know why that's called Kingdom City? We had a king. In the Civil War, everyone was, are you going to go for the South? Or are you going to go for the North? They declared a monarchy. Serious. And they had a king. That's why it's called Kingdom City. Wouldn't that have been fun? To be presented with some guy in jeans, no teeth. <laughs> You're the king. You're the king of, yeah, I'm the king of Kingdom City, all five of us. That was kind of cool. But that's why it's called Kingdom City. So research it for yourself. But you can't talk about the king without talking, the kingdom without talking about the king. On your sheet there, I'm going to spoil one of the questions. The kingdom reflects 
who the king is. If the king is evil, everybody's going to be chaotic and evil and cheating and corrupt. If the king is benevolent and good, like Camelot, remember that story? Another movie, First Night, terrific. He says, I hate Richard Gere, but it's a great movie. The point is, there's a king behind the kingdom, and the king is everything. The king drives everything concerning the kingdom of God. He's called in the Bible, the great king. Psalm 47, verse 2, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is the great king over all the earth. These are the verses I meditate on when I'm feeling a little down. I don't do pump-up self-help quotes. I remind myself who the king is, and I remind myself who I am in his kingdom. And in 10 minutes, you're out of any kind of despair. There's no chance you can stay in it because the Holy Ghost says, yes, amen. Now get up on your feet and serve the king. Yes, sir. Psalm 47, verses 7 and 8. For God is the king of the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. It's all over the Bible, isn't it? And of course, our favorite, Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules only over the hearts of the Christians. His kingdom rules over all. See, that's the reality, folks. Don't make this king some miniature little mini-me from Oz. I just thought of that. Some little bitty king, and he's only, he's over your heart, and he's over your heart. you got to be kidding me. He is the king of everything. God's kingdom rules over all is indisputable. Our God reigns. Whenever his sovereignty is challenged, expect a response. Ask Pharaoh. Was God just playing parlor games with him? No, you see, Pharaoh was declaring, I'm God. And God says, no, you're not. I'm going to do ten things to you to prove to you your gods are funny. There's only one true God. And the telling thing about Pharaoh is he says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And God says, oh, excuse me. You're about to find out. And the whole New Testament reads that way. We'll cover that next week, I hope. Ask Nebuchadnezzar, who really is in charge of the nations and kings of the world. I'm great. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. Look what I've done. Look at the people serving me. Look how much honor and glory I have. Because, excuse me, apart from me, you're nothing but an animal. Apart from my common grace. I'll tell you what, let's try that. Let me just take my hand off of you for a moment. Now let's see how you do. Sunday up like a beast of the field, eating grass. His fingernails grew long like claws. And then he came to his senses. Now this man was not even born again. This man was not a Christian. He continued to be a pagan. But he made the greatest prophecy in the entire Bible about the dominion of King Jesus that there is. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Who can thwart your hand? Who can thwart your purposes? 
That's pretty wise of you, O king. But why is God in charge? What are his qualifications? Why does he get to be ruler and king of kings? What makes him, are you ready? The Bible uses this phrase, worthy to be the absolute monarch. Number one, God is the creator of all things. Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Revelation 4.11, listen to this. Worthy art thou, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So God is the creator of all things that qualifies him to be king. He made it. He rules it. Number two, God is the Lord. We say it all the time. Bumper stickers, Jesus is Lord. But what does it mean? The word Lord in the Hebrew is Adonai. You've heard that song, or that word before, Adonai. The Lord is Adonai. It means owner. Lord means owner. That's why you have lords in England, because they own large tracts of land. They are owners. They are lords. See? But the God who created all things owns all things. Isaiah 41, 11, Who is given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, says the Lord. Psalm 50, 10 and 11, For every beast of the field is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. That just means a lot of hills. I know that all the birds... I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field because they are mine. He knows the birds. Do you think he doesn't know you? Do you think he doesn't know uh, the corrupt people who are getting away with things? Do you think God's never going to answer? Think again. Anybody who challenges his ultimate authority is going to pay the price. So we found out he's creator, he's Lord. Number three, God is not only the creator, he's the redeemer. Oh, you, you mean Jesus, right? No, God is the redeemer. He made that clear to Israel from the beginning. You know the story of Exodus, where he redeemed them by blood. Hello? The story just got larger as we get through the Bible. It was a beginning point, a starting and it's certainly not the ending point. Because truth in the Bible is progressive. It keeps growing all through to the end of the earth. Yeah, you know, we start with a garden in Genesis 1. In Revelation 22, we end with the city of God. Which tells you the growth and the progressive nature of God's kingdom expanding to include every single thing. God is the Redeemer. Je Jeremiah 31, 11, For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands that were too strong for him. This is a reference to Pharaoh, who said, I'm God, you'll serve me. And God says, no, I'm the one true God, they're going to serve me. And you're going to have to let them go. And he did at the cost of his own life. Now, don't forget that all that redeeming that was happening, that was the beginning of cosmic redemption. That was the beginning, a starting point. 
of God the Redeemer. He wasn't finished. Israel said, you're finished. That's it. You're our God. You're our personal God. We don't want you to go anywhere else. We don't want you to be for anybody else. You're ours and yours alone. God said, I'm going to have to leave you because you don't get it. And we've changed that concept into he's my personal savior. He doesn't belong to you. <laughs> what are you doing? Be careful that you don't individualize this thing so much that you get, make gross statements like that. We don't own God. He owns us. And we're here to serve him, not the other way around. Almighty God is the rightful ruler and king of his kingdom, which is over all the earth. Why? Because he is God, he is Lord, and he is the redeemer. Now, you're familiar with Psalm 2. It says this, God says this, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He became God incarnate in the second person of the Trinity. Jesus was born a king. That's why the wise men brought gifts. That's why they came and paid homage, because that's what you do for a king. And this particular king, which is just a little baby in the manger, owned everything. He used to be more vocal. You can be vocal. Is Stephen telling you not to make a sound? I don't think he is. Come on. At least breathe toward me so I know you're there. All right. But how is Messiah qualified to rule? The one, he's God. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1. He's the exact representation of his nature. I could go on. John 1. You can go through the litany of Christology through the whole Bible to prove Jesus Christ is God. He's not just another uh, statue on your dashboard. He's God alone. Two. We let this one slip on us all the time. But are you ready for this? Jesus is the creator. No, no, no. That was only God. And Jesus was kind of like, I don't know. He was kind of helping or something. No, no, no. Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. By him. That means he was the agent. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things. Say all things. Were created through him and for him. <coughs> so what's the third point? Why the Messiah is qualified. He's the redeemer. But he's the owner of all things. Because he's God, he created. He's the Lord, Adonai, the owner of all things. It all belongs to him. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. If you went to the maps, you went too far. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Revelation. No, it's the last book of the Bible. Number 39 in the New Testament. Book number 39 in the New Testament. 27 in the old, 39 in the new, 66 total. Three times nine is 27. That's how you remember 27. Sorry, 27 in the New Testament, isn't it? 39 in the Old Testament. Three times nine is 27. Okay. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll which was written. 
on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? This was about worthiness. To rule all things. That's what the parchment was about. The title deed to the cosmos. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that would include the demons, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So John began to weep. Weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And one of the elders said, stop crying. The lion from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he could open the scroll and its seven seals. The elder was comforting the revelator, saying, there's, there's one. There's one person who is God and man. One. There's one person who is worthy. It's not you. It's not me. It's not the President of the United States. It's not Putin. It's not China. It's none of these people are worthy. There's only one who we should give our allegiance to. Only one. Because he is worthy. Look at verse 9 with me. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Again, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. <laughs> that means everything. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. They can't stop. Because there's only one, and every assembly that we have, every Sabbath that we have, is joining with this throng, singing the same song. So don't come in here like some limp piece of wet rag on the sink or something. Come in here knowing, I belong to the angels. I belong to the kingdom. That's, I've come in, in festal garment to an unshakable kingdom this morning to proclaim in spite of what the world tells me and the devil whispers in my ear. This is my true reality. This is the true reality in all the earth. This is the good news. Not the gospel. The evangelicals have cut off the other part. But the gospel of the kingdom is the good news. There's a God who reigns. You don't have to live under this miserable oppression in this fallen society any longer. You can be lifted up. You can be raised from the dead. What? Why wouldn't anybody want that kingdom? Because sin forces them. Instead of opening their arms to the coming king, to the king of glory. Turn into a fist. Say, I will not have this man rule over me. Oh, but you'll obey little peasant corrupt guys who tell you what to do all the time. Go here, stop your business, don't do this. You'll obey it on a, a dime. 
you're going to shake your fist at God. <laughs> it's moronic. Isn't everybody, you tracking with me? All right. Am I, I hope I'm not alone. This is what it means when it says Jesus is Lord. He is God. He is creator. He is owner of all things. He's the redeemer, ready, of everything. That all things would be summed up in the Christ. He took redemption from a little band of uh, farmers and 400 people's years of bondage. He started with them to get to the whole earth, including the trees of the field, including the stones crying out. Why? Because he created them all. He just starts with people, but he's not stopping with people. He's using the sons of God to bring redemption to the whole earth, which he owns and which he created. So it's not going to end in a nuclear holocaust. It's not going to happen. The owner, the creator, the redeemer has something to say about that. And his word will not return unto him void. He is Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Do you realize this is how the book of Revelation starts? Who rules? What's the answer to that question? Verse 5 starts, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And the sooner that they recognize that, the less pain they'll have to suffer. We'll cover that next week. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to our God, to the Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is how the book of Revelation starts with a doxology. Because Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth. I'm going to close with Psalm 2. If you look at that real quick, my closing verse here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Psalm Psalm 2. I should have put that little ribbon in there, but I didn't do it. Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. That word literally means worship. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. You're blessed today because you've already bowed the knee to King Jesus. You're safe. You're safe in this filthy world. You're safe from the wrath of God forever. His anger was for a moment. His favor's for a lifetime. That's your heritage. And we'll close with the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Will you please stand with me? Let's sing together as we close out this, the meeting this morning. A hymn, all hail the power of Jesus' name. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. As loud as you can. royal diadem and crown him Lord. Crown 
altar, ye chosen seed of Israel's race, be ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him.